900 Fallon Street in Oakland. Call 510-403-1601 for tickets. Funds raised will benefit the Dance Brigade for the preservation of Caribbean cultural traditions. You're welcome to experience the Dance of the Caribbean at Cuba Caribe's 11th Annual Festival of Cuban and Caribbean Dance and Music. To learn more, call 510-403-1601 or visit www.cubacaribe.org. And you are listening to 94.1 FM KPFA here in Berkeley and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. It is 3.30. Stay tuned now for Cover to Cover, Open Book. Hello and welcome to Cover to Cover, Open Book, Frame to Frame. My name is Raina Cowan and I'm here talking about film for the next half hour. It's great to be here and it's great to be here in the month of April and early May when the San Francisco International Film Festival comes through. You know, one of the things I'd like to do probably more than most things is to just sit back and watch multiple films in a row. And this year I've watched some films and there were films that were really striking. At the end I'll tell you about some films that I highly recommend and I wanted to talk about today one of the films that I thought was really fascinating. It's a new documentary entitled Romeo is Bleeding and it follows poet Dante Clark and his efforts to heal Richmond, <laughs> Richmond, California, from the violence that's so constant and deep that no one can really recall when it started. And with the help of his teacher mentor, Molly Rayner, uh, Clark collaborated with a group of youth from Richmond Arts Artists with Talent, or RAW, to adapt Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet to modern-day Richmond. So uh, with me to talk about the film is the director, Jason Zeldis. He's an editor uh, featured mainly in uh, the Los Angeles film world. Uh, this is his first feature film, but he also entered, uh, edited 20 Feet from Stardom. And uh, I wanted to welcome him to KPFA. Jason, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So uh, it's it's such an interesting thing having you here because you've been following poet Dante Clark and you made this film about him. And at one point, you actually come to the KPFA studios uh, to film him. So here it is. We're talking about the very film that you were actually working on back then. Right. So tell me, what? Uh, how did you wind up hearing about Dante Clark and what uh, drew you to this particular project? Well, I've actually known about Dante for a long time. Um, my cousin is actually Molly Rayner, uh, who is his poetic mentor. So she moved to Richmond maybe seven years ago now, and she would always tell the family about her very first student. You know, this kid's really special. He's really got something going on. And so I tracked his story for a while, and I made some videos for Raw Talent when they were just doing smaller shows, smaller poetry shows. And... One day she came up to me, it was actually at my grandma's 80th birthday party, and she said, you're not going to believe what Dante's doing. And she told me this whole wild story about how he was getting ready to adapt Romeo and Juliet, but set it in Richmond and draw on real-life influences to inform the script and inform his adaptation. And she spent like maybe five or seven minutes pitching me this idea, 
And so I responded with, would you mind if I came up with a few friends and some cameras? And she was like, well, I was really hoping you'd say that. And um, that was the summer of 2012. And here we are several years later, and we've got a film on our hands. So it all happened very organically. Um, yeah, I came up to Richmond for the first time a few days after my grandma's birthday party. And it was actually the day that the Chevron refinery caught fire in August of 2012. So there I was on my very first day of filming and, you know, had this really tragic environmental uh, event happen. And that paired with the power of Dante's poetry and the power of his students' poetry, I just, I really discovered an entire world up in Richmond. You know, I went for an artist and, and I really loved Dante's art. But once I arrived, I discovered this whole brand new world. And it was really high stakes and really cinematic. So um, I think the decision was made for me that I was making this film. And I just really try to keep up along the way. Well, you know, that it's interesting because when I read about the film in advance, that it was going to be a retelling of Romeo and Juliet, I thought, you know, I have seen films that have been the retelling of, uh, I don't know, different Shakespeare plays in prison and schools and different things. And I thought, you know, I, I don't know. But then when I watched this film, I realized that this was actually something different because first it's a, it's doing a whole new script of Romeo and Juliet. But the other thing is that you're actually putting it in the cultural context of Richmond and that you are, I guess there's many main characters and Richmond is a key one. So uh, how did you, uh, you know, go into this direction? I don't know if this is what you started to do or whether it sort of organically transformed into this over time. Well, it organically transformed over time. I went up... I went up to Richmond with kind of the same reservations that you're describing of, you know, there's been several films about Shakespearean adaptations, and that wasn't necessarily super interesting to me. But, it, I mean, it is interesting, but it wasn't, it wasn't enough to carry a film on its own. Um, what was enough to carry a film on its own is Dante. Dante is an incredibly inspiring artist, so inspiring, in fact, that he's inspired a lot of youth across the city to follow him. So I started to get to know Dante, and I started to really delve into you know, his artwork, his poetry, and that, and that led me to asking questions about inspiration behind the poetry. And the inspiration behind most of his poetry is the experience he's lived through being from North Richmond and, uh, and Richmond itself. So obviously that leads us into, well, can you take me and show me some of the, some of the neighborhoods you grew up in? And once we were out there, we would meet the community members and the community members would describe their experiences growing up and it started to become a much larger oh oh dear are you there i think we lost him uh, why don't we play the film clip at this moment and uh we'll have the engineer get him back so if uh Here's the film clip from the film Romeo is Bleeding, showing this week at the San Francisco International Film Festival. We finna take a Shakespearean play, rewrite it, and make it fit Richmond. From ancient grudge break to new mutiny, with civil blood makes civil hands unclean. Who gonna protect the children? 
Richmond is on fire. And Lord knows we all burn. Purpose of the play is to address the problem that's been going on in Richmond, California. Last weekend, we had a shooting every night. And one night we had two shootings. So we have a gang problem. And we need to address the gang problem. Well, you're back. <laughs> Are you there? Okay, let's see. We're waiting right now. Uh, we're talking about Romeo is Bleeding with the director Jason Zeldis. Are you there? I am there. Did okay. I say something wrong? <laughs> Did you say something wrong? <laughs> right? Yeah, so we, we edited it out. There was, there was too many thoughts that were too private. So <laughs> let's go back. So you were talking about how organic it was for you to... Um, to get to know Richmond and to follow Dante Clark as he's going from his different spots in Richmond and connecting with um, different people that he knew. Right. Um, yeah, and, oh, go ahead. No, so go ahead. Well, yeah, it was it was all about relationship building. It started, honestly, it started with a good relationship with my cousin who was really close with all of her students. She vouched with me to her students, and they, you know, I built relationships with them and they liked me and trusted me enough to let me into their lives. And before I knew it, I wasn't only talking to the students, but I was talking to community members of several generations in Richmond. I was talking to politicians, city employees, police officers. Um, so, you know, through kind of the magic of the movies, I was able to construct conversations uh, between police officers and youth that often feel oppressed by the police officers in a way that, you know, doesn't normally happen very organically. Uh, so I found myself with this incredible opportunity to really take a multi-perspective view on what life is like in an American post-industrial inner city and why it's like that. And, you know, the greatest thing about it was that we still had the structure of Romeo and Juliet that we can go back to when we're structuring the film in post-production. And we still had this really magnetic leading character, Dante Clark, who could root us in a very specific point of view. Because even though we have multiple perspectives throughout the film, it's very much Dante Clark's movie. And so we try to stay as true to him as possible as we go on this journey through Richmond. Well, it's actually interesting because I might disagree with you. It is his movie, but at the same time, you interview and have featured Denise Robinson and DeAndre Evans and then your cousin Molly Rayner, who are all... Uh, remarkable. So it's it, there is a way that uh, maybe he's able to um, connect with them, but uh, that there's a way that their stories are also really important. And I don't know whether it's, you know, there's so many people who are, um, I don't know, who have the ability to to lead something are not necessarily people who can be community builders. And it sounds like Dante is able to do both. Yeah, and that's that's part of why I'm really fascinated by him and part of why it was such an honor to make a movie about him. Because, I mean, when I met him, I met him in the context of you are an artist that I really admire. And as I got to know him better, you know, he's much more multifaceted than simply an artist. He is a community leader. He's a community activist. He's 
an educator. He's self-educated. Uh, he's, and he's just a really well-rounded, impressive young man. And I think what's interesting about the film is that we captured him at a point in his journey when he was still going through a fair amount of growing pains. I mean, it's a, it's a big responsibility for... He was 22 when we started filming, and he's in charge of a classroom and a big production, and he's never had that experience before. So I, in my mind, we kind of capture him at this crossroads when he's attempting to grow into the community leader that Richmond really wants him to be. And, of course, there's growing pains associated with that, especially, you know, in this moment in time in Richmond. Uh, there, there was a lot of crime going on. There was a lot of violence going on. So, uh, so he had a lot to wrestle with over the course of that school year. So Molly Rayner was his teacher and then becomes his collaborator. And I'm wondering about that. How, what were those dynamics like? Well, I mean, she, she found him at an earlier crossroads in his life. Um, he was at independent study at the school that she was teaching at, uh, making waves. And, you know, he had kind of lost his way because, you know, conventional education wasn't working out for him, and that's how he landed in independent study in the first place. But she really recognized something in him, and so introduced him to poetry, because uh, he was already kind of rapping. Um, and and with a little bit of coaching, like, he really did blossom. And I think that Molly felt some ownership, uh, or some involvement at least, not ownership, that's the wrong word, uh, but she felt some involvement in, in this artist, and she didn't want to just necessarily, like, say goodbye at graduation and let him move on. So she offered him an opportunity, like, hey, let's try to build something. So very early in their relationship, it went from mentor-mentee to kind of collaborators, and they built Raw Talent uh, on equal terms. And now Raw Talent is a thriving arts organization in Richmond, they recently partnered with another amazing organization in Richmond called the Rise Center, and they're really doing their part in trying to make the arts an important part of Richmond's culture and kind of reframe the perception of the city uh, in a more broad context, like around the Bay Area as a place that's really central to the arts. So <clears throat> when you were making this film, how much time did you actually spend up with Dante and the rest of the the members of the theater group? Uh, well, we moved to the East Bay to do this. Um, I'm based in Los Angeles, usually, uh, but it felt like the only way to really do this story justice was to make a really intimate documentary, and the best way to do that is to live it. So, you know, it was kind of... I, I kind of look at it as like a really nice Snapchat or a snapshot of uh, a moment in time where, you know, I was young enough at that time to drop everything and just move to the Bay, and, uh, and I had amazing friends, uh, producer and cinematographer uh, Michael Klein and Rajit Smith-Mahabir, who came with me, and, and Katie Zalk, our associate producer. Um, we all just moved to the East Bay and sat in the corner of the classroom every day and kind of waited for something interesting to happen. And I think that that does get reflected in the final cut of the film. Because we were there every single day, I think that helped the students and it helped Dante really 
buy into allowing us into their world. Um, and, you know, we spent a lot of time without the cameras even just kind of building relationships and building trust. And hopefully in the final cut of the film, all that relationship building, that trust and that intimacy is reflected on the screen. Yeah, I think that it's amazing. There's certain scenes like when you go to the cemetery, uh, you know, there's been so many everybody talks about people that they've known uh relatives friends who have been murdered and there's a moment where a few of the kids go to the cemetery to to try to find people that they know yeah. um so it does feel like you've been you're that you're very uh that you're following them as they go from place to place yeah you know it was it was a goal of ours from the beginning to make it feel like it was you know, for Richmond, but also by Richmond. Because it would be very easy in my position to go to a city that's not mine and make an outsider sort of film, but I don't think that would be a successful film. I think, you know, what success looks like in a project like this is really capturing the spirit of a city, the spirit of its artists. So really moving there and living that life was the only way to make the film that I wanted to make. Uh, so to me, you know, putting in that extra time definitely is the difference between, you know, having a film that I'm proud of and just having a film. So I'm, I don't know any other way to make a film, I guess is what I'm saying. We're talking to Jason Zeldis. His film, Romeo Was Bleeding, is going to be showing at this year's San Francisco International Film Festival. You know, the other part about the film that I really enjoyed is uh, that there was a rhythm, that the rhythm of the editing and the pacing of the film really sort of matched what was happening on screen, or uh, that's a, what happened in the community was sort of matched by how you did the editing. And you also edited 20 Feet from Stardom. I know you didn't edit this film, but I'm wondering uh, what the process was like in terms of putting the film together after you did all the shooting. Yeah, uh, well, it was definitely a journey. And uh, thankfully, we had such strong source material which was the poetry of raw talent and the poetry of Dante Clark. And that, that tends to be really fiery and frenetic in its style. And so when we set out to establish the style of the film, we wanted to match that energy with our visuals. And we wanted to create visual poetry that was worthy of raw talent's poetry. Um, so, you know, that, that set the palette for us. We knew we weren't making a straight doc. From the start, we knew that we were going to try to do something a little edgier, uh, a little more frenetic, a little more high energy than you might see, you know, in your day-to-day -day documentary fare. And and we also had a ton of material, and that that was tricky, you know, really focusing in on what was going to be in the final cut because we did live in this universe, and there were so many inspiring students around raw talent. One of the most difficult parts of making this film, actually, was narrowing it down to the cast that we ended up with, which was Dante, Molly, DeAndre, and Denise. There's so many other amazing students there. Um, so that was the hardest part of editing. But, you know, we always went back to what real assets do we have here? And the biggest asset I thought was you know, Dante in his soul and his spirit. And the same with Denise. She's an incredible girl. 
and also their artwork, you know. So as much as possible, we wanted to lean on their art and showcase their art. And actually, you know, I think that some of the DNA of 20 Feet from Stardom lives in Romeo is Bleeding, because if you go and you look at that film, it really showcases the performances of the background singers. Uh, well, we took that exact same approach with this, where it was all about showcasing the poetry of the students and kind of using our cinematic tools to go deeper, go beyond the poem, and show really what are the influences for those writing, uh, for the writing. Um, and lastly, another aspect or another asset we had was uh, Romeo and Juliet. I mean, we have this classic structure that works, and we have students adapting the play to fit their real life. So I think about halfway through post-production, we decided, uh, we being myself and Kevin Clobber, who's an amazing editor, uh, that we were going to stick to the structure of Romeo and Juliet. And it just so happens that our verite real-life footage kind of naturally matches that arc. Um, so once we made that decision and we started placing, you know, the, the verite footage on top of the play footage, it, it quickly just became something more than the sum of its parts, and we knew that we were on to something. So we kept on kind of cutting in that direction. Uh, now, one of the most difficult things about working with adolescents is that there's a lot of um, embarrassment and anxiety. So here it is. They're maybe saying their poems for the first time, and you're filming them, but that's like a whole extra added thing of not, <laughs> not just that they're saying them and embarrassed, but that you're there... Uh, recording it so how did you continually uh, make everybody feel comfortable I mean and you're from like a different culture a different race you know you're an LA person like how how did you continually uh, connect well first of all I try really hard to not be an LA person <laughs> okay. I am a Detroiter who okay. lives in Los Angeles <laughs> excuse me yes <laughs> and uh, I mean like I said earlier, it, it, I was really young when I started this. I was 25 years old. I wasn't so far removed from being a high schooler myself. And I certainly don't think I looked particularly intimidating to any of these kids. Like, and we, and we lived there, and we spent all this time with them. So not too long after I showed up, they were no longer looking at my friends and I as the camera crew. They were looking at us as like, oh, Jason's a nerd, and, and, you know, Mike is the responsible one. And, like, I think they kind of forgot that we were there because we were there so often. And so it just it stopped being a thing. Uh, and one of the things that is remarkable to me about Raw Talent, the arts organization, when you live it, is this incredible community that surrounds the classroom. And once we were welcomed into that community, we were in. It wasn't about, you know, an age difference or a power dynamic or anything like that. It was just we were part of the family. We happened to be part of the family that always carried camera equipment with us, but, but that was that. And, you know, I, I just I made a lot of friends with the kids, which is, you know, a lot of my documentary mentors would tell me, like, don't make really close friends with your subjects, but in this particular case it was really beneficial and uh and so that embarrassment um i think was minimized in in the production of this particular film 
We're speaking with uh, the director of Romeo is Bleeding, Jason Zeldes, which is playing at the San Francisco International Film Festival. My name is Raina Cowan. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. The film is going to have its first screening at El Cerrito High School as part of the film festival. And that's where the play, Romeo is Bleeding, was actually performed. So you're kind of going back to the community for the first world premiere of Romeo is Bleeding, uh, which I think is just lovely. Uh, was that a film festival idea or your idea, or how did that happen? Um, well, that was that was our the film team's idea to begin with, and we were hoping that that was something that the festival would get on board with. Um, we really wanted the world premiere to be for the people of Richmond, because as you pointed out earlier, uh, the city is such a character in the film, and we owe it to the city to make that screening about the city and for the people of the city. And, uh, and San Francisco Film Festival has been marvelous in allowing us and helping us to make this come true. Um, they have gone the extra mile to, to make that happen, and we're really excited that it is happening. Um, so, sorry, I got sidetracked for a minute there. Um, yeah, they've really gone the extra mile to make sure that that could be a big event that was for the city. Uh, and as you said, Dante's adaptation of Romeo and Juliet, Tay's Harmony, took place at El Cerrito High School. So it has this nice full circle sort of poetry to it. Uh, and San Francisco Film Festival is just the perfect place for this film to debut. So we couldn't be happier that it worked out that way. Yes, you got um, funding from them as well. So the film has three showings. You can see it at the world premiere at El Cerrito High School, 540 Ashbury in El Cerrito on Wednesday, April 29th. You can see it May 1st at 630 at the Sundance Kabuki Cinemas or uh, my favorite theater to see films at Pacific Film Archive on May 3rd at 2 o'clock p.m. Uh, Jason, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was my first on-air interview. Did you okay? <laughs> yeah, yes, it's uh, it's great. Thanks. <laughs> you did fine. <laughs> That's what the students would have said too, huh? So um, I I want to tell you if you want tickets for this film, you can go to the website sanfranciscofilmsociety.org. And I wanted to tell you about a couple of other films that are showing um, next week. I'm going to be interviewing um, on this show Kim Longinato, who is one of my favorite documentary filmmakers she's going to do get a persistence of vision award um her new film Dreamcatcher, is also showing she did divorced iranian style um gaia girls shinjuku boys a lot of really very amazing interesting films so that will be next week uh, on this show uh, another bay area filmmaker did a film entitled very semi-serious uh, leah wolchak uh, it looks at the new yorker cartoons and it's gotten a really good buzz there's, if you're really interested in mountain peaks and seeing something beautiful, there's the film Meru, uh, which is, it was a Sundance Documentary Award winner, and it looks at professional climbers on their attempt to go after a 20,000-foot Himalayan peak. Um, it's a really interesting film. And then The Wonders, which is a film from uh, Italy, Switzerland, and Germany, and it's a film that links humor, conflict, and family pangs of early adolescence 
in the slice of Italian rural life. So that's really interesting. All those films are playing at Pacific Film Archive. If you want more information, you can actually go to their website, which is bampfa.org berkeley.edu for tickets or their phone number 510-642-5249. And my name is Raina Cowan. You've been listening to an edition of Cover to Cover, and I will be back next week talking more about film and the San Francisco International Film Festival that actually opens tomorrow evening, uh, plays at three different venues throughout the Bay Area, films about everything. Sometimes you can see films that are going to be opening soon, so you can beat your friends to see them and talk about them. Or what I like to do is often see films that nobody else is going to show and that you have a great opportunity. This film, Romeo is Bleeding, uh, it has its premiere, and I'm sure that it's going to get released because it's really a wonderful film and very provocative. So thank you so much for joining me. I will be back next week. Thanks for listening. Here's another community-powered announcement from KPFA. Jamaican tenor Steve Higgins will present an exciting evening of inspirational and gospel favorites on Saturday, April 25th, 4 p.m. at St. Paul's AME Church, 2024 Ashby Avenue in Berkeley. Doors open at 3 p.m., showtime 4 p.m. Proceeds from this fundraising event will benefit the Jamaican American Association of Northern California Scholarship Fund and the St. Paul AME Church Men's Ministry. Steve Higgins sang and toured internationally with the Jamaican folk singers for 20 years. He appears locally and internationally as a tenor soloist and an accomplished and respected master of ceremonies. Jamaican tenor Steve Higgins, Saturday, April 25th. 4 p.m. at St. Paul's AME Church in Berkeley. For more information, call 510-854-6413.